in a powerful, victorious way. I got to say, the Bible says uh, today is the day of salvation, which means every day when you're reading the Bible. If you don't know the Lord, this is a good day to get to know him, just to commit your life to him, to surrender to him, and allow him to show you great things. I know if uh, you're like I was and a lot of people, sometimes we want to say, if God will prove himself to me, then I'll believe. But the Bible says, if you believe, God will prove himself to you. So we have to believe first. And then, oh, all the signs and wonders and proofs start coming. Amen. To those of you that know the Lord already, amen. I want to welcome you if you're visiting today. My name's Nina Sebesta. We're going to take up our offering in just a minute. And you can also submit a written prayer request. It's on the inside of your bulletin. And you can pull that out. Make sure we can read it. Put it in the offering plate. If you think of something or want to add something later in the service, you can always put it in the box back there. It doesn't have to be this form. You can write it on anything that we can read. We encourage you to do that. Um, I heard last week, my husband and I were out of town. Everything is fine. Uh, <laughs> but I heard that uh, Melissa kind of uh, started promoting the second round, as she called it, I think, of the building fund for the new building. And uh, I thought that was an interesting way to put it, second round, here we go. But uh, I heard somebody on their building fund envelope last week put first round. They're paying for their first round, not to be confused. But we are moving forward quickly on the building. We're excited about it. You can always go over there and look. We need that space, kitchen, and a community room, classrooms, offices. We're kind of bursting at the seams here. I was thinking this morning, we have something at this church every single night of the week. Every single night and day, amen? That's an amazing thing. Monday night is usually board meetings, but every other night is small groups, support groups, practice groups, uh, celebrate recovery, different things. So the church is being used, and there is a big need not only here, but in our community. We seek to reach out into our community. So we need a little more space. The Bible says that our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We need space to do that, to equip people and teach people. I love, that, uh, I love that verse, equipping them for the work of the ministry. And I wrote these down, 2 Timothy 3.17. Scripture is inspired by God so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. I love that, to read the word that will equip you for every good work. We don't read the word to judge and condemn and put people down and uh, that we come along come along our path right we give them the word of grace the word of hope the word of salvation we don't use it against them but we use it for them right because it says again in hebrews may god equip you with all that is good to do his will for every purpose god's equipping us for a good work to do his will i love that verse you know jesus knew what his purpose was here on earth says Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. We see that all across, you know, the world, you know, our city, states, and our own lives, and our own families, where evil is trying to take hold and creep in. But the word says that Jesus came to destroy those works. And we need to know him and learn what his word says about those things in order to combat those. Because how many of us want to know what our purpose is in life? I think all of us at some point. Like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? The other day, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed the landscaping around the church. We have a lot of butterfly bushes. 
I love butterfly bushes and knockout roses because it's really hard to kill either one, and they do well. But the other day, these butterfly bushes right here by the door, uh, my grandson, seven-year-old grandson, was walking by the bush, and it was just like hundreds of butterflies came out of it. It was like one of those Nat Geo moments where, you know, the migration of the butterflies. And he stopped and he was just in awe of all these butterflies. But, you know, that butterfly bush, even in nature, it says God has a purpose. That butterfly bush was fulfilling its purpose, drawing butterflies to itself. And we need to have that same purpose, drawing men and women to ourselves. The Bible says if Jesus is lifted high, he'll draw all men unto himself. I see Brian Halpin here. You taught me this, Brian. 15 or 20 years ago, I don't remember it was, how long ago it was when you showed up at Capital Christian. And uh, Brian has a great testimony. He was living homeless by choice to be on the streets with people, right? I don't want to say anything wrong. Yes. But when he, the church, we were in another location, had beautiful landscaping, and Brian was telling me, this is so important. People start feeling the presence of God as soon as they get out of their cars. And we need to keep it, keep it up. It was a little bit in disarray. And uh, Brian really set his heart to make the church look amazing on the outside before people got on the inside. That was a good lesson for me. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> so I really set my heart for that. There was one day, though, that we really got into pruning, and I brought a chainsaw to work that day to the church. And I got Brian in the back of my pickup on a ladder with the chainsaw. You remember that? And I remember as he was climbing the ladder, I could hear him talking to God, also known as praying, oh God, I've never done this before. Help me to not get hurt. <laughs> and he got up there and pruned that tree away. And, you know, it's like our own lives. We have a purpose. Sometimes we have to be trimmed a little bit. Sometimes we need some deep pruning to get away the stuff that's uh, just inhibiting us from being the best we can be. And then we need feeding, just like these bushes out here. We're always giving them miracle grow and plant stakes and stuff, just so they can be the best they can be. And it's really for each one of us. We have a purpose and a meaning in life that God is constantly trimming. It's not always fun. Pruning hurts even more, but what an amazing uh, plant and person you have after we allow God to do that. So don't be afraid of the hard times. They're just pruning us to make us even better. Amen? We're going to have our... Uh, the men come up now. Leonard, you're going to come up here while we pray. Last time I had him up here, he just took off because Leonard is all about giving to the church. He don't want to waste any time. <laughs> we love you. Hey, Leonard and Milker are having their 50th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks. 50 years. Hey, man, they're putting on a big party for their family and stuff and so nice. Yesterday, we went up to Ratone for uh, Jim and Pat Noble had a 50th wedding anniversary. Amazing. This generation, this times, you know, in season, it's a little hard to find that. So we appreciate, guys, your amazing testimony to the body. I don't know where Milka is, but I'm sure she's here somewhere. Father, we are so grateful that uh, you're faithful, Lord. Your word says, even when we become faithless, that you remain faithful to us, that you take us through difficult times and challenges, that you give us times of rest and joy in you, Lord, that you are our all in all, Father. You provide everything we need. You're our hope. You're our love. You're the grace in our lives that allows us 
to live and to move forward. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We serve a great and mighty God. We don't have any uh, video announcements today, so I'm just going to tell you a few. One thing I'm going to tell you is to read your bulletin. I found out last week with a group of ladies, we don't read our bulletin very well. But there's a lot in here. Everything that's going on in the church, upcoming events, small groups that meet. We have a lot of things in here, and you can find it here or on our website. We have a grief share group getting ready to start. Jane and Steve will be leading that. I know it. That's a great group. You know, dealing with the loss of someone you love is not an easy thing, no matter how strong we are. And that group helps you to walk through that, whether you lost someone recently or 20 years ago, right, Jane? And uh, it's, it's very profitable to go through that. That's getting ready to start the end of August. It's in here, 27th? 27th. So that's in here. We have a Celebrate Recovery group. Uh, for people who have been dealing with addiction, totally encourage you to get to be part of that. Someone told me we're the only church in town that provides that, a Christian recovery group. So if you know someone, sometimes it helps if you come with them. Maybe you don't have that issue, but bring somebody and sit with them and, you know, be a partner for them to help them get through these times. Women's support group, so many things. So read your bulletin, find out what's going on, get plugged in somewhere. We're going to start in September, more small groups and uh, oh, different, you know, young adults and support groups and things. So just keep aware of that. We love you guys. God bless you today. Good morning. Everybody doing well this morning? Okay. All right. Well, some of you are. The rest of you are going to be doing well by the time you leave, okay? So um, I want to thank Edward for sharing last week. Did an awesome job. And uh, this morning we are in Matthew chapter 6. We're in this series on the Lord's Prayer. And um, I've got that on the overhead. We want to just start... Uh, with slide number one. We're going to all say this together. We're going to say it with great enthusiasm, okay? This is what was called the Our Father. So let's just begin. Our Father, which art in heaven, come on, great enthusiasm, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. So um, we've uh, talked about um, the purpose of prayer, you know, just coming to God, our Father, and how holy his name is. Uh, the purpose of prayer, his kingdom coming. And uh, last week, uh, Edward spoke about our provision, the provision part of prayer. And this week, we're going to talk about forgiveness, a very important part of that prayer. In fact, it's so important that after the prayer was actually over, the very next verse after those, that prayer is over, um, the Lord says, uh, starting in, uh, this is verses 14, he says, for if you forgive 
other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You know, it's so important, this theme um, of, of forgiveness of sin, I mean, it begins in the very beginning of uh, Matthew's gospel when uh, the angel is speaking to Joseph and he says that, um, you know, Joseph is, is reluctant to marry Mary to take uh, her, this woman, as his wife, and uh, he wants to divorce her or to put her away privately. And um, this angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, you know, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, um, that she's going to have a son, and tells Joseph, this is the word of the angel to Joseph, that you are to give him the name Jesus because he will bring forgiveness of sin. He will forgive people their sins. This is the message from the very beginning, this forgiveness, this theme of forgiveness of sin. And so I want to, I want to just um, move forward to Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians um, was written by Paul to, uh, to the church at Ephesus. And uh, we're going to look at Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Timothy and if you don't know this, the history of this, that Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was the church, pastor of the church in Ephesians. And so uh, these, these three books go kind of hand in hand. He's writing not only to the church in the, in the book of Ephesus, but he's writing to the pastor of the church in Timothy. We're going to look at both of those this morning. But in Ephesus, he's, he, or in Ephesians, he says, don't let anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving. There's that word again, forgiving one another just as though uh, just as Christ has forgiven you, as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so, um, you know, when we look at that, we look at those words, they're, they're really, on paper, they're very pleasant words. I mean, it, it's almost, uh, there's almost a rhythm to it. You know, he talks about getting rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, and all of that sounds good. And then he talks about instead... Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That all sounds good on paper. The problem that we have with this, guys, is that when you put a face and a time and a place to these words, and some of you will remember, you know, does that apply to, you know, this bitter divorce that I went through? Does this apply to this, you know, employer that was just so cruel and rude to me day after day after day? Does it apply to that relative that was abusive, whether physically or sexually abusive? Does that apply to that? God, do you really expect me to be kind and tenderhearted and have mercy to those kind of people that have really hurt me and brought hurt in my life or those that have abandoned me and those that have forsaken me and, and those that have left me alone and those that have said bad things about me and have lied about me Am I supposed to? Surely, God, you can't mean that I have to apply these words of mercy and kindness and love and tenderness and forgiveness to those kind of people. And did Paul really know what he was talking about? 
I mean, did Paul really experience this? It's one thing to stand up and, and say these words, but did Paul actually experience, you know, this type of behavior uh, that people treated, the way that people treated him? Does it apply to uh, a drunk driver that has brought harm to you or a nasty neighbor or a friend that's betrayed you? Am I really supposed to release this resentment and embrace forgiveness for people like this. And like I said earlier, when we stop and we have to apply a face or we remember a time or a moment that these things happen to us, maybe it's not so easy. Maybe it's not so easy. But Paul tells us again to get rid of these things, to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger in harsh words, slander. Instead, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just like Jesus did for you and I. Someone said that forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. So, I want to just move from uh, Ephesians to Timothy, and, and I want to show you an example of how Paul was treated, and maybe he did experience the same thing that you and I have been through. He's writing uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, you know, words, I, I want to just tell you guys that these words, if we will embrace these words, uh, Nina mentioned you know, just a moment ago about uh, us being out of town. And you know, the reason we went out of town is uh, that I got, a, I got a text message from someone that, you know, that we really love that had told us that in this text message that um, young man that he was thinking about committing suicide. And we just felt like, you know, there was a sense of urgency that we needed to go and, and maybe speak to this, uh, this young man and so I'm at their house. I'd gone over to the house, and this is so cool. Guys, remember, I'm always telling you this. Don't neglect the small things. Look for, look for God in the little things. I'm, you know, guys, you heard my refrigerator story, and I'm not going to bore you with that again, but it was a great story. Um, but I'm, I'm there, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm listening to a young man, 16 years old, you know, thinking about taking his life because of just bitter and harsh conditions that he's living with. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I, you, you want to be careful. You don't want to just lob out some words. What are you going to say? What do you say in a situation like this? And I'm just praying and I'm asking God. And I'm like, Lord, you know, what do I say? What do I, in a moment like this, what do I say? And I was out in front of their house and I looked up uh, on the garage and there was the street address. And their street address was 410. 410. And I had been memorizing, and I've shared with you, 1 Chronicles 410. 410. It's the prayer of Jabez. And the prayer of Jabez goes like this. He says, Lord, I want you to bless me, and I want you to expand my territory. That's not just talking about land. It's talking about your influence, talking about people that, you know, that you have influence over, uh, your influence, your, expand your territory in your business, in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, with your employees or employer, you know, just expanding everything that you do, make it bigger and make it better. And so Jabez is saying, Lord, I want you to bless me. 
and I want you to expand my territory. And he says, please be with me in everything that I do. And he says, keep me from all trouble and pain. And so I'm sharing that with this young man. And, you know, it's just what came to me. And I'll, I'm going to briefly read you some of the texts that he sent me back. He says, he says, I look at that scripture and how it relates to me and where I've been and what I've been praying for for so long and how much sense it makes to me at this time. And it gives me a little hope and a little boost in life. It gives me hope for a better life, and I appreciate, you know, goes on to, you know, appreciating what I'd shared with him, and he goes on to say, he says, um, it makes so much sense, and it makes me feel better that I understand, you know, things that God wants me to be in, or, or places that God wants me to go. Just, I mean, I'm telling you guys, a little, you know, 410 on an address, I'm looking at that and thinking, God, what can you give me? And here comes this scripture, guys. Look for the little thing. By the way, I want to just show you. I, I, I got to show you this because this is so cool. Guys, on, the, on, on my, uh, my PowerPoint, go to those last two slides, if you would, the flower. I want to show you this, guys. This is, you know, most of you walked past this this morning and didn't even notice this. But, you know, see, there's the flower bed right there. But right here, out of the cement, give me a close-up, the next slide. You see that flower growing out of the cement right there? That's what God can do in your life. You know, you may be dry right now. You may, be, you may even have a hard heart right now. But God can bring life, I mean, beautiful little life. And you know, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, it says that out of dry ground, God will bring a root, a tender root out of dry ground. I mean, just like that this morning, there's no soil there. There's, you know, it's just solid concrete, maybe a little soil in that crack. But look the beauty that God, you know, brought out. And half of us walked past it this morning and didn't even see it. You know, so I'm telling you, when you go out, just go to the left and you'll see it. You can look at it in person, okay? Don't pick it, by the way. <laughs> so um, anyway, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, guys, you know, we look, we, we've got to look for these little things. And, you know, in looking for these little things in life, looking for God in the little things, you know, it's the little things in life that are so important. And I want to, uh, you know, let's just go back to Paul here in uh, first, uh, sec, uh, Second Timothy chapter 4. And so Paul is writing, and, you know, he's talking to a, just a broad group of people and I believe that, you know, we're going to be able to relate to this this morning. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. Now, Paul's in prison, by the way, and he knows this is the last book that he's written or the last book that he will write, 2 Timothy. Uh, he is, he's terminal. He's terminal. He's terminally ill. You know, you guys know people that have been like that, you know, in the hospital. But Paul is terminal because he knows that there is no escape. He's not getting out of this, that... He is going to die, and he's going to die in prison. And so he's writing to Timothy, and he says, do your best to come to me. He says, for Demas, this is one of his partners in ministry, has forsaken me uh, because he's loved this present world. He has, some of your translations will say deserted. Some will say forsaken. Some will say abandoned. He's abandoned me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. He says that... Uh, 
He talks about those that others that have left. He says that uh, Titus uh, has gone to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. And then he says to Timothy, get Mark. And this is John Mark, I think you will remember, if you remember the story of, uh, in the book of Acts, the second missionary journey. This is uh, recorded in Acts chapter 15, uh, where Paul and Barnabas had taken John Mark on a missionary trip, and John Mark bailed on them, and Paul's just like, you know, on the, when it came time for the second missionary journey, that John Mark bailed on them on the first one, but when it came time for the second one, uh, Paul just said, you know what, that guy's not going with us. He's not going. You know, he quit us the first time, and well, I'm done with him. But there had been reconciliation, and maybe that you've cut the cord with someone in your life, and you felt like I'm done with them, but Paul is reconsidering, and he's saying, bring John Mark, or bring Mark with me, or with you, uh, because he's helpful to me in the ministry. I love that, you know, just seeing that reconciliation. Um, he says, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. And uh, so this first part, he's talking about, you know, friends and family. You know, Paul is in prison. He's alone. And he's, you know, he's feeling it. He's like, you know, those that were close to him have left him and abandoned him and deserted him. And he's there all by himself. And then in verse 14, he talks about another, uh, another influence in his life that was not good. He says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. Notice that Paul doesn't, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, pray for this man's death or God to smite him or to kill him. Uh, but he is warning Timothy about this man. He says, the Lord will repay him. Remember the scripture says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Paul doesn't, you know, take it upon himself uh, to uh, bring vengeance against this man. He just says, he's just warning Timothy. He says, this man did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. But he's warning Timothy, Timothy he said, you should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposes our message. This is an actual enemy. This was an enemy of the gospel. This was an enemy of Paul. And so, there, you know, all of us guys, I mean, you know, whether we want it or not, sometimes we go through life and, you know, we will have enemies in life. You will have enemies, those that for some reason or another, you know, someone doesn't like you, they're against you. Um, I mean, it could be someone that, you know, that, that's just really out to get you, someone that's cruel and rude to you and goes out of their, their way to bring you harm. There are people like that, and you just have to keep your heart right when you're dealing with someone like that. And then he goes, and he talked about those that were in ministry with him, and then he talks about the one that was a deliberate enemy of his. And then this next group of people, there's three groups of people here that we're going to talk about this morning. And then he says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. I mean, just think about this. I mean, this is Paul. This is, you know, he's the pastor of a church there. And um, he says that everyone has deserted me. He's going on trial, and he, there's just no one that will stand up on his behalf. No one. I mean, because at that time, Christians were still being arrested. They were being uh, just deeply persecuted, greatly persecuted, uh, being put to death, being put in prison. And just no one showed up uh, to speak a good word uh, in Paul's defense. 
At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You got to just kind of keep watching his heart. He's bringing this out in this letter, but he keeps, you know, coming back, guarding his heart. The Bible tells you and I, just guard your heart because out of it comes the issues of life. And he says, now notice this, you know, this uh, final, finally he says, but the Lord, I mean, you could preach a thousand messages just on those two, three words, but the Lord, or but God. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth, and some believe that that was uh, at his first trial, that he wasn't taken to the Colosseum and throwing, thrown into the lions, that he was spared that. And he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and he will rescue you as well from every evil attack, and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we get a good amen right there? Amen. All right. So let me just, I want to just kind of, I want to go through these, and, um, you know, I believe that, you know, that you and I can identify with, with some of these situations that Paul went through. First of all, he said that he was forsaken by friends, and I just added lovers in there because some of you have been through brutal divorces, you know, uh, or you've, you know, I mean, even death, uh, the a separation of death. Um, but he says here, just recounting, he said, do your best to come to me quickly. Demas has forsaken me. He loved this world. Uh, he said he sent Titus to uh, Dalmatia. Only Luke is with him. Bring Mark. Um, so we, we want to, in this first uh, paragraph or first point, we want to talk about friends and lovers and divorce and coworkers and, and uh, employers or employees, um, those that have forsaken you and abandoned you. And this is what the psalmist said. He says, even my closest friend uh, whom I trusted, the one that ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. You know, someone said that the saddest thing about betrayal, that it never comes from your enemy. Betrayal will never come from your enemy. It always comes from those that are closest to you. Close friends, loved ones, betrayal in a marriage, you know, just, uh, you know, those that you love, those that you care for, friends and family. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemy. And then this is the scripture from uh, Psalm 55. And he says, it's not an enemy who insulted me. I could have handled that. Nor is it someone who hates me and who now rises against me. I could have hidden myself from him. But it is you, a man whom I treated as my equal, my personal confidant, my close friend. I had a good fellowship. We had good fellowship together. We even walked together in the house of God. And the psalmist is saying, and you, you abandoned me, you know, you betrayed me, you've hurt me, you've brought grief to my heart. And Job was familiar with this. He says, my closest friends detest me, and those that I have loved have turned against me. And in Zechariah chapter 13, he says, and if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds that I received in the house of my friend. I have been wounded by those I love, those that I cared for. Those are the people that have hurt me. Those are the ones that have deeply hurt me. And then the second point that he brings up, that Paul brings up, is about this man, Alexander. 
And we don't know a whole lot about him, um, but apparently he was a metal worker. It could have been the same metal worker that is spoken about in Acts when Paul is thrown into jail. Um, there was an Alexander that was mentioned there, but we're not real sure who it is. But all we know is that he says, the metal worker did me a great deal of harm, and the Lord will repay him. And this is the enemy, the one that is out to get you, the one that de deliberately sets his, his mind and his heart to come against you and to attack you. And what does the Bible say about, you know, your enemy? What, how, do you, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to someone that you know that is deliberately out to bring harm to you and hurt to you or to your family? Well, the Scripture says to love your enemies and to do good to those that hate you, to bless those that curse you, and to pray for those that mistreat you. Uh, guys, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, this is not easy. This is not something that's easy to do, but the Bible says we, said, we, we just got through reading that, you know, that if we don't forgive those that, that have sinned against us, God's not going to forgive us, our sins that we've sinned against Him. We have to forgive one another. And it's not something that you don't wait till you feel like doing it. You know, maybe that feeling won't ever come. It's a choice. And you may have to do it day after day. You may not feel like the first time you say, Lord, I choose to forgive this person that has brought harm to me or to my family or my children. I don't feel like forgiving them. But God says that we do it just in obedience. It's not a feeling. It's not something that we're supposed to feel. And, and you'll have to do it, and, and you'll have to do it time and time and time again. You don't just say that, those words once and it goes away. But he says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, and bless those that curse you, and pray for those that mistreat you. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful. Listen to this. We're supposed to be, we represent, we look like we're the children of God, and so we should have the same heart of the Father. He says, let this heart or this mind that was in Christ Jesus also be in you. And he says, be merciful. Oh, wait, let me just back up. He says, this is your, your, your reward will be great, and you will be called the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful, and he is kind to the wicked. And he says, be merciful to them, to the ungrateful and to the wicked, just as your Father has been merciful to you. And then we see this about Jesus, the, the mindset that he had. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. I came across this beautiful story. Some of you may remember this. Some of you may be old enough to remember this. Um, this happened in 1960, and it was a time when racial tension in America was just almost at its highest. And um, the courts had ordered that uh, the um, segregation and integration uh, of schools where black children would start coming to white schools. And this story is about Ruby Bridges, she was only six years old, six-year-old black girl, and uh, th this, this actual photo of her uh, going to school, and uh, she, went, she was going to the William Franz Elementary School 
in uh, Louisiana and New Orleans. And no black child had ever stepped foot on this school campus. And uh, this judge, uh, Skelly Wright, ordered for the first time ever that this school be integrated, and this was on November the 14th of 1960. And we see the, if you go to the next slide, this was a, um, a, a magazine cover by the famous artist and il illustrator Norman Rockwell, but that shows uh, Ruby Bridges being escorted in by U.S. Marshal into this school. Um, she says, driving up, the six-year-old child, driving up, she said, I could see the crowd, but living in New Orleans, I thought it was like Mardi Gras. There was a large crowd of people outside the school, and they were throwing things, and they were shouting, and all sorts of things. You know, it looked just like Mardi Gras. Um, the U.S. Marshal Charles Burke later recalled, she showed a lot of courage. She never cried. She didn't whimper. She just marched like a little soldier, and all of us were very proud of her. Every Sunday, her family went to church, and Ruby's mother and father could not read or write, but every Sunday they went to church. Ruby's mother wanted all of her children to start feeling close to God's Spirit, and the whole family was praying for strength and courage to get through any trouble as a result of, of the desegregation ruling. Both her parents were proud that their little daughter had been chosen. She was one of six children chosen, one of six black children that were chosen to go into white schools. There were three that was going to go to the William Franz School and three to another school. Two of the three that were going to go to William Franz bailed out. So Ruby was the only one that was going to go. And she marched in day after day among an angry crowd of people. Federal marshals, as I mentioned, had to be ordered in. The New Orleans police was there as well. Large crowds of angry people gathered there every day outside the school, uh, screaming, shouting, throwing things. Uh, one lady had a black doll in a coffin. Others shouted out words that they were going to be that she would be poisoned. And it says that once she was inside the first day of school, no one attended school because a black child was coming to a white school. The second day, a Presbyterian minister had a daughter that he brought. He escorted into the school himself. And then after that, it was just kind of like the watershed a lot of number of the other parents began to bring their children to the school, and uh, eventually they all came back to school. But listen to this. It says that Ruby um, went in with one teacher in one classroom and no other students. No students sat in that classroom for the first year. And uh, Ruby had a teacher... Uh, by law, Mrs. Henry, she always was dumbfounded by Ruby's politeness and effectual smile on her face, wondering how Ruby could keep going with such a relaxed, hopeful spirit. The teacher speculated when Ruby would wear down or even quit coming 
you know, where they were just kind of like, you know, she can't, this child cannot endure this. She cannot take this day after day and week after week. But Ruby said that she was doing fine, and Ruby learned how to read and write in an empty classroom, in an empty building. But one morning, Mrs. Henry noticed that as Ruby was being escorted through this crowd of people, that she stopped and turned around, and uh, the teacher asked Ruby later on, she says, Ruby, what were you saying to the crowd? And uh, Ruby said, I didn't say anything to them. And the teacher said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I saw your lips moving, and I saw you saying something to the crowd. She said, I wasn't talking to them. She said, I was praying for them. said, evidently, Ruby would stop every day before going to the classroom and after leaving the classroom. And on that particular day, she forgot to pray for the crowd as she was going into the school. And she stopped and turned around to, uh, to face the angry crowd and began to pray. And these are the words that she said, please, God, try to forgive these people because even if they said those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So could you forgive them just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you? A six-year-old child, a six-year-old child speaking to an angry mob. Guys, I'm going to tell you that there's a lesson in this about forgiving we can learn from a six-year-old child a lesson about forgiving those that have said bad things to us, those that have tried to bring harm to our lives, those that have done evil and wronged you, a lesson from a six-year-old child. Father, can you forgive them? Can you say that? As you know, I know your mind is going back. There have been times and places where those have said wrong things about you, evil things about you, hurtful things about you, done bad things to you. Father, can you forgive them? That needs to be our prayer today. And then our third point this morning is uh, abandoned by family. Now, Paul, we talked about this where, you know, those that were close to him, those that were in the church, those that church family and Many of you have been hurt by the church or someone in the church family, you know, uh, a close friend you felt betrayed by. And Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. You know how that had to hurt. You know the, the pain of that. David said in Psalm 27, even if my mother and father abandoned me, the Lord cares for me. In Job 19, he says, my relatives stay far away. My friends have turned against me. My family is gone and my close friends have forgotten me. Some of you know you can relate to what Job is saying. And Jesus even said, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And our final point this morning is what Paul comes back to when he says how God had protected him. He was protected and delivered by the Lord. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. 
I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord rescued me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. The Scripture says, look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, and a root of bitterness spring up within us. See, that's the tendency. You either forgive someone or this root of bitterness will, will rise up in your life and, and you'll be mad and you'll have, you know, you'll, you'll think of, dream of ways, you know, to, to bring harm and to hurt people. I, I mean, I know I've done it. I've done it. I've been there. I've thought about, you know, how many ways. Let me count the ways that I would like to strangle you. Let me count the ways that I would like to bring harm to you. We've all been there, guys. I mean, if we're honest, we're honest with one another this morning. You'll admit that. And then we have to just, the Holy Spirit will bring a check in our hearts and our lives. And we say, Lord, I don't want to have those kind of thoughts in my mind. I don't want those thoughts in my heart. And I don't want this. And if you allow that, the Scripture says, if you allow that to continue in your life, it says there will spring up a root, not the tender little root that we saw growing outside this morning, but a root of bitterness will spring up. And it says it will defile you and others too. So he says that Isaiah you know, talking about and just remembering that in these trials that we face, in these trials that you go through, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is going to be there for you. No matter what trial you face, no matter what struggle you're going through, God's saying, I'm going to be there for you. In Psalm 46, he says, David says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. I love this. There's so much comfort in this verse for me. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you as you go out, as you come in for this, from this time forevermore. Someone said that a very small degree of betrayal is, suffic- is sufficient to cause the death of trust. Life will betray you, but God never will. Life will betray you. God will never will. So, um, let me just wrap this up with uh, another illustration that I believe will help us this morning. Bobby Leach, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Bobby Leach. He was 53 years old in 1911. And he was the first man, not the first person, the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel was a woman. But some 10 years later, Bobby Leach decides that he's going to go over uh, Niagara Falls in a barrel. He goes over Niagara Falls, and in that fall, he breaks both of his knees and broke his jaw, spent six months in the hospital recovering and uh, got out, and then he just became, you know, he was just like on tour, making lots of money, telling his story, sharing it. Uh, he hooked up with uh, I, uh, the Barnum, P.T. Barnum Circus Group, and, you know, just all, all over the world, you know, just talking about his experience and what it was like. It's a 160-foot uh, plunge from, from the top of the falls down to the, to the bottom of the river. Uh, 160 foot, he fell in this barrel and uh, badly beaten up, and, uh, but goes on and, you know, has an interesting life telling of his story. But... Uh, about 10, 10 years, 10, 15 years after that, Bobby Leach was walking across the room and stepped on an orange peel. The guy that goes over Niagara Falls in a barrel, falls 160 feet, 
breaks both of his knees and his jaw, steps on an orange peel, and slips and falls. And that fall caused him to get an infection, which he waited on. Just a little infection at first, but he waited and waited, and he waited too long. He didn't deal with the little things in his life. As a result of that, they had to amputate his leg, but they waited too long to do the amputation. Bobby Leach died. The man that went over Niagara Falls, he died from stepping on an orange peel. The Bible says it's the little things in life that will destroy you and I. I mean, when we're going over Niagara Falls, we're in the big things in life, we're thinking about that. We're getting ready for that. You're going to get ready for that. But when I'm walking across this room, this auditorium, I'm not thinking about orange peels. I mean, I've done it a hundred times. The Bible tells, tells us that, you know, we need to be faithful in the little things. It's the little things in life. It's the little small things. The Bible says that if you think you're standing, you feel, you feel confident in your strength, you feel confident in your flesh. It says, be careful, those that think you're standing, that you don't fall that you don't slip, but it's our half-hearted work effort, spending without thinking, careless in conversations, neglecting the most important things in life. It's the little things that, you know, that we seem to forget, and we think that it's all going to be okay. Then we slip on an orange peel. Guys, I want to tell you that God is saying today, and that orange peel could be the very thing that we started this message out with this morning about forgiving one another. You know, is there someone in your life, these are the things that will defile you. These are the small things in life that will hold you back and keep you from being God's best, keep you from being what God wants you to be. It's the little things in life that will hold you back. You know, the, remember the scripture, I think it's in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. It says, the little foxes, you don't have to worry about the big foxes destroying the vine because the big foxes can stand up and they can get the fruit. But the little foxes can't get the fruit. They can't reach it. So what they do is they, they chew the base of the vine. They chew the, where it's going up, you know, going up. They just chew that off and then they drag the vine down and then they can eat the fruit that's on the ground. But the vine is now destroyed. It's the little things in life. This is the warning. It's the little things in life that will destroy you and I. It's those small things. The Bible says that in Luke chapter 16, whosoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whosoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. And then he says that you've been faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. So, you know, it's these little things in life that can bring you down. But it's also these little things in life that you're, if you're watching, they can take you to the next level. I mean, it can have one effect or the other. They can either bring you down or they can bring you up to the next level where God recognizes your faithfulness and he says, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. I want to pray for you this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just believe that, you know, that, um, well, I want you to just, if you would just please just close your eyes and I'm just going to pray for you just right where you are this morning. I want to just ask, first of all, if there's anyone in here that, you know, nobody's looking around, and uh, somehow, you know, this message has spoken to you, God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying that, you know, you, you need to get right with God. 
that you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Savior today, that you need to have forgiveness of sin, that, you know, you've tried to run your life and rule your life on your own forever, and it's not worked out so good for you. And today, the Holy Spirit is just saying that you need to give your life to Jesus today. If I'm speaking to you and the Lord is speaking to you about making a commitment and giving your life to Jesus today, I just want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. You want to receive Jesus today. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you for raising your hand. You can put your hand down, and I'm just going to pray this prayer with you. You can just say, Father, I know that I've sinned, and I've sinned against you and your son, Jesus, and I've made a mess of my life, and I want your son, Jesus, to come into my life and take control. I want you to forgive me my sins. I ask you, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead and guide and direct my life so that I can bring honor and glory to your name. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So the rest of you that are sitting there, though, this morning, that you're thinking about, as this message was going forth, still you've got your, your head bowed and your eyes closed. And this morning's message, you were thinking about just times and places and faces where someone did harm to you, said something about you, did something to you, that it's still there, it's still lingering. And once again, maybe you've said this in the past, but you want to say it again this morning, I choose to forgive. Lord, I, I'm remembering that moment, that time when I was abused, I was hurt, I was beaten, I was molested, uh, I, I, I heard those words that I don't love you anymore, I, I want a divorce, um, I, just those, those devastating moments and times in your life. And you want to just say, Lord, I, I choose to forgive this morning. And God, I'm asking you that you would shape and mold my heart and give me a tender heart that's full of forgiveness, just like you've forgiven me when I was stubborn and I was rebellious. Lord, you forgave me my sins, and I choose to forgive those that have hurt me. And Lord, now I'm just asking you for all of the congregation, for those that have been hurt and wounded and tossed aside, Lord, I'm asking you that you would heal my broken heart, that you would heal my brokenness, that you would restore me to a place, raise me up, great physician, I'm just looking for a touch from you this morning, that you would touch me and heal me and put me into a place, Lord, where I can be in service, no longer on the sideline, no longer hampered by my wounds, no longer hampered by uh, unforgiveness, no longer hampered by my thoughts, my vengeful thoughts. Lord, I want to be set free from that. And I'm asking that you would forgive me and release me, that you would set me free. I ask these things in Jesus' name. You guys, I want you to look at me for just a moment. You guys will remember the day that Jesus was crucified. That when Jesus was crucified, at the same time that Jesus was was on his way to being crucified. There was a man that was in a prison cell, and he was locked away. He had a sentence of death on him. He was wounded. He was, you know, uh, he was a bad man. He was a murderer. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was sitting in a prison cell, and he can hear the footsteps of the guard coming toward him, thinking that there's a crucifixion happening today, 
Maybe they're coming to get me. The guard approaches that cell with a key, unlocks it, and he says, you're free. You're set free. You can go free. A man's name was Barabbas. The guard said, this man, Jesus, has taken your place. He's dying for you. He's giving his life for your life. He's calling you out of the prison. He's calling you out of captivity. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and I. You want to just stand and just give God a great shout this morning? Because I tell you what, we serve a great God. We serve a great God. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you his peace. I'm asking you guys, go share this good news with somebody. Tell somebody about the love of Jesus. God bless you guys. I love you.